Romans. Turn there. Meet me at Romans chapter 11. Thank you, Pastor Ben, for last Sunday covering a portion of Romans chapter 10. Uh, the best verses in Romans 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And that's a guarantee for you too. Uh, whether you're a Jewish today or whether you're a Gentile today, it doesn't matter. We're saved by grace, not race. And so everybody must come through belief. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Ben mentioned my back is weird. Would you pray for that? I've got a, a trip coming up and, and uh, I'm nervous about that. So pray for that. I did have a shot last Monday, my lumbar spinal shot, which takes care of that terrible pain in my leg. But I'm reminded that my back's still a mess. And so the pain is there. But thankfully, it's not there. We'll take what we get. Amen. Uh, but be in prayer for that. Next Sunday, you have the privilege of hearing Pastor Doug Schmidt, former pastor of Woodside Churches, all nine churches. He was a lead pastor at the Troy campus. He'll be here and preaching for you next Sunday. You don't want to miss that. And I told him he didn't need to preach Romans, especially since we're in the 11, uh, chapter 11. That's cruel to do to a guest speaker. So he's going to come in and just uh, talk whatever he wants to talk about. So you'll enjoy that. Treat him well next Sunday. Let's get to Romans chapter 11. Um, boy, how do you approach this? The only way to approach chapter 11 in Romans is with reverence. Don't approach this with intellectual excitement. I mean, none of us should be like giddy excitement that we've got a, we know what's going on and this is the, you know, it shouldn't be an intellectual. Matter of fact, Paul, I want to remind you, Paul is very intellectual, but Paul is a pastor here. He's being a pastor. He's pastoral, trying to teach his church, the, the church in Rome, made up of Jew, Jewish Christians, Jewish believers in Jesus, and Gentile believers all together in one place, and Paul's trying to pastor them, shepherd them. He's not doing a dissertation to get his doctorate. And I know some people do that, and then that's okay. Uh, but today, this morning, how do you approach chapter 11? With reverence. With reverence. And again, the warning is, Paul is very direct not only is he direct, he doubles down and just, even when you think, did he really say, well, then he comes back with another analogy to pound it home. And so uh, what I see is pretty straightforward here, but it, it has divided Christianity. Uh, you need to know, uh, if you don't know, there's such a thing today and it's popular and it's growing called replacement theology, that the church has become Israel. Israel failed, you know, God's plan A messed up. And so he, he came up with a plan B. And that's just not true. Uh, God's plans never fail. Israel was not plan A that failed and then God all of a sudden decided he'd let Gentiles be saved as a plan B. No, there's only been one plan. And it included God sending his son through the line of Abraham uh, through, through the Jewish people. And, and the Jewish people can come to salvation through faith in the Messiah but he also opened up a beautiful thing for us who aren't Jewish people. We can also be saved. And so you need to know that uh, I believe, I, I don't know if I'm speaking from our elders or our whole church story point, but your pastor believes that God still will finish his deal with Israel. He made covenants with them that are permanent and he will fulfill those through the end. God's people are still the Jewish people. However, Paul makes it very clear that it's not the Jewish people alone. And it's not all the Jewish people. He makes it very clear that not all Israel is Israel. 
Only the only ones that are saved are the Jewish people who believe in the Messiah. So many of them rejected him that God opened it up for us Gentiles. It's a beautiful thing. So that's where I'm at. I believe that God will still finish his promise. He will fulfill those. When we come to the end times in Revelation, there's some business he has with the nation of Israel, and he's going to do that. So they're not replaced. And that's kind of the theme. Our our big idea this morning is God did not reject his people totally. I probably should have put that on the screen. God did not reject his people totally. Totally. <laughs> there are some that aren't going to be in heaven because they rejected the gospel. And that's the point. There is hope for Israel. We, as believers, ought to be presenting the gospel to Jewish people because there's hope that they would come to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. So that's where we're at. Romans 11, 1 through 15. Pray with me. Let's pray this morning. Would you say this prayer? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God silently in your heart. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified. May Satan be horrified. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the context and then I'll go through and make comments on it. We're in Romans 11, 1 through 16 this morning. I ask them, Did God reject his people? By no means. You see that little exclamation point there, right? So let's do that again. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that Scripture says in the passage about Elijah how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altar. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were... Grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. Uh, He's quoting how to Deuteronomy 29 and Isaiah 29 there. And then he starts quoting David from Psalm 69. David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so far so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. <laughs> Rather, because of their transgression, Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? (laughs) I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from 
the dead. Wow, what a rich passage here. And remember pastoral. Just imagine if we had half of the people here today were Jewish descent, people of Jewish descent, and the rest of you are Gentile people. And we're in one church, right? This half over here is like, we've obeyed the law. We've been doing good our whole lives. We work hard at obeying the law. And then all of a sudden, these people come in? They've not worked hard at all. And matter of fact, now that they're in, you've taken away some of the rules. Remember? You know, Paul and some of the guys are out eating barbecue. And the Jewish people are like, we can't eat barbecue. Well, we used to couldn't. But now we can't. Remember Peter? Remember the whole thing with the sheet coming down full of great stuff? Oh, I love that. One of my favorite passages in the Bible when God says, it's all good to eat. Lobster, shrimp, steak, and all sorts of... Mm. That's, I preach it. Somebody should have said preach that. That's a good passage. And so we've got a church full of people that are like, ah, our background was rules, 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 and now there's not as many rules, and they've never kept the rules. How can they be in? And Paul's coming along, and he's saying, well, it breaks my heart, Israel, Jewish people, that you think you're in just because of your birth, and, and that's not how anyone gets to heaven. You're missing it. And then Paul's going to come along a little bit later and say, but don't get cocky, Gentiles. Don't get, what is that old saying? Don't get too big for your britches, right? Paul's going to say, hey, whoa, 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 Gentile people, don't get too big for your britches here. They were very important people in God's plan. They still are. So what do we do? How do we break this down today? Well, what happens to Israel? That guy, I think that's the question. What happens to Israel? Don't forget, going back to passage 8, not all Israel is Israel. So we're talking national and religious. We're talking Jewish by birth and maybe religious, but lost because it's not by grace. It's by works, right? So what happens to Israel? Three things today. Number one, God did not reject his people. Many of them rejected him. We need to remember that. The, the ones that are not saved because they did not accept Jesus as Messiah, they're not saved. They can be very religious. They can be devout. They can go to the temple. They can do all the things. But if they did not accept salvation through Jesus, it means nothing. They rejected him. So in a sense, the ones that rejected him, we'll learn two weeks from now, they're like branches that are torn off the tree, broken off, Right? But it's not that God just broke off branches willy-nilly. They had rejected him. That's why they are rejected. Not totally, not all of them. Paul says, not all of them, because I'm one. That's what Paul says. I'm, I'm one of them. And he gives his lineage. He's like, he's like a bigwig Jew. And he's like, but I'm saved because I believe in Jesus as my Savior. So God didn't reject totally his people. Many of them rejected him. Many Jews pursued external. Everybody say external. They pursued external righteousness instead of internal, everybody say internal, righteousness offered by God through Jesus. That's a big deal. That's where we're at today. Paul is saying there's a reason why you are rejected. It's because you, you rejected the Messiah. You're still counting on doing religious stuff. And you might know other people, not just Jewish people, but you might know other people in your life that are very religious they wouldn't miss a church service or a communion. And they're counting on the fact that they go to church or they participate in communion to save them. Now, that's external. Can I remind you today, eyeballs here, there is nothing external that will get you saved. Right? 
they're so caught up when, when Jesus was here. They're so caught up on the external, they couldn't believe it. Here's Jesus. I've been in Israel. Kathy and I are talking about maybe a trip to Israel coming up soon, right? Maybe, hopefully, we'll take some people, go to Israel. But even today in Israel and the city streets, all these restaurants, but every once in a while, there's a little sink, a faucet on the outside of the building because they're very into ceremonial washing. Wash your hands just right. The cups and the bowls must be washed. And here comes Jesus with his disciples and they're eating and drinking, not even washing their hands. Now, I'm not saying that's a good idea, right? I'm just saying... They didn't do the, all the steps. And the religious people are like, look at Jesus. He comes and he's eating with sinners and, and he's not washing his hands or the cups. And, and Jesus says, what, what's with you people? All you care about is what's on the outside. He, said, he tells them, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unholy. It's what's in your heart that comes out that makes you unholy. Internal, not external, right? Everybody say internal. That's what Paul is getting at here in the first six verses. It reminds me back to Romans 10, 20 to 21. Do you have that on the screen? Good. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. God says, I am offering salvation through the Messiah, but you're being obstinate. You're rejecting the very one that I'm giving you, but God is patient. So what I want to say to people who believe in a replacement theology, is that the God you want to have? Who quits on you when you don't get it right? How many of you have not gotten it right at least once, right? Come on, Art, you're a construction guy. Measure twice, cut once, right? right? Have you ever cut once and thought, I should have measured twice? We make mistakes, right? And when it comes to God, he's absolute holy perfection. We obviously make mistakes that fall short of God's. And so aren't we glad that God doesn't say, oh, blew it. You blew it. That guy cut you off in traffic and you gestured. What was that? You're out. Out. Wouldn't that be awful? What I want to make sure you understand today is we don't have a God who just takes Israel and says, you blew it, all of you, you're out. No, he offers, he's patient, he, he delays and he offers, his hand is out saying to the people of Israel, I gave you the Messiah, if you would just turn. That's what you need to know about God. And that's why replacement theology saying Israel is no longer anything to God, that hurts me because there's no, I have no chance. If Israel's out, well, then I'm out too because I I get it wrong sometimes. See, you need to hear Paul's heart as a pastor. He's teaching grace and mercy. Some people read this passage and see nothing but rejection. He rejected, he rejected, he rejected. No, he was rejected but still offered grace. I think that's what Paul's trying to get across. And then we have God always preserves a remnant for his people. Now here's what's my favorite part. He starts to tell, Paul starts to tell one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament in 1 Kings 19. And I'm not going to ask permission because I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going I'm to go through that passage because I love it. He talks about Elijah and uh, how Elijah thought that Everybody was out and he was the only one left. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like I'm the only person left 
that worships God. Have you ever, you know, you're watching the Super Bowl or you're watching, uh, you know, the Emmys the week before and you're like, what is going on with this world? Am I the only one who has a moral center, right? Have you ever felt that way? Elijah definitely did. And he's an incredible story. First Kings 19, 1 through 18. I want to read it for you. Go ahead and go there. They don't need to put it on the screen. It's way too long. Uh, open your own Bibles or open a gadget. First Kings 19. Now this is right after the huge story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Remember that? Oh, what a great story, right? They each had their turn. They had their sacrifice. And remember, you know, the people went on for a whole day cutting themselves, crying out to Baal for something to happen and nothing happened, right? And Elijah was getting a little, you know, he's a little competitive. He's like, you know, maybe you should shout a little louder. And then he actually says to them, maybe he's on the toilet and he can't hear you. I love that. Or he's on vacation, right? Paul's taunting. And then you know what happens when it's Elijah. You know what happens when it's Elijah's turn. I love it when it's Elijah's turn. Because Elijah's like all of a sudden all these people are watching. They're all bleeding and cut up and nothing happened to their altar. Here's his altar. He has them pour water on it a bunch of times. It's soaking wet. The ground's soaking wet. And then Elijah goes, God, if you don't show up, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I mean, I love that prayer. It's like, oh no, boy, we're in it now. I got it all wet and I need fire from heaven. I just need fire from heaven. Oh God, fire from heaven. Destroys the, the, the sacrifice, the altar, and the rocks. I mean, this is a fire. It's not a fire, it's a Southern Baptist fire <laughs> coming down from heaven, right? What a story. This is like... I don't know, there are certain times when a Gatorade bath makes sense. I mean, anybody left should have come to Elijah like, we did it, yeah, Elijah! And he should have been celebrating, right? At the very end of him winning this big contest, 400 prophets of Baal are slaughtered, he's the victor, and then we go into this passage. Victor, right? Warrior, winner. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those, like one of them. Ahab and Jezebel are leading Israel. Israel always wanted leaders and rulers, and God said, fine, and boy, now they've got Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab goes crying to Jezebel. He just, he just killed all the prophets of Baal. And Jezebel's like, I'll take care of him. And she sends a note. Dead meat. That's how I interpret that. You're dead meat. Now, Elijah had just had this huge victory. Elijah has a God who he just asked to call down fire from heaven, and he saw it happen. You would think that Elijah would rip that note up and say, I dare you, right? No. He goes, oh. And he runs from a girl. I'm just saying. I know it's not politically correct, but I'm just going to tell you. After beating 400 prophets of Baal, Elijah runs from a girl. He runs. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat underneath it and prayed that he might die. Okay. A little bipolar going on here. We just had a huge victory. Woohoo! And now we get threatened and we run from a girl and we pray that we can just die. Okay. All right. Hang on now, Elijah. You're going to be okay. 
I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. Now, here's my biblical theology for good food and a nap. Sometimes you just need a good meal and rest time. Amen? And I tell my wife all this, all the, I tell her all the time. She's like a little bit of a sleep person against me. And I'm like, I like naps. It's okay to have a nap. It's biblical, I say. Good meal and a nap. Well, he needed more than that. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and then the angel Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave to spend the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now I got to stop there because I love this part. Here's God's servant and he's freaked out. He is scared to death, right? He is he's afraid he's going to be killed and so he just wants to die and he, he, he gets miracle bread and rest twice and now he's got enough gumption to go 40 more miles and now he's in a cave hiding from a girl. And God says a wonderful question which I believe is a rhetorical question because God knows the answer to it but he wants Elijah to know the answer. What are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, you can put a lot of implication into that. Didn't you just see what I did? Didn't you just see what my hand can do, Elijah? Why are you hiding in a cave? Well, listen to what Elijah's response here because I, I feel like I'm a reincarnation possibly of Elijah at times. He replied, I have been very zealous. I got to put an inflection in. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites rejected your covenant. They tore down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Oh, what a great lament. Have you ever pitched a fit and sat in it? Don't we do this sometimes? I mean, I do. Maybe you guys are great people. I don't know, but I pout. I always, I'm, 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 I'm constantly thinking, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. It's just me, God. And you're not doing much for me. That's what Elijah's saying. I love how patient God is with him. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Can you imagine that? He just gave his huge lament, Elijah. <laughs> I'm the only one going to kill me. Elijah, walk outside the cave and stand there. I'm just going to walk by. Wow. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Elijah had just seen fire come down from heaven. And I love what God does for Elijah here because he takes him out and then he shows them incredible power. Winds blowing and rocks breaking and this had to be horrific. It had to sound like a freight train coming through, an explosion of rocks. But God wasn't in the wind. Elijah's got to be thinking, what's going on here? 
After the earthquake quake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? There's some great things to learn from this passage. Sometimes we like to see the mighty hand of God and we, we wait for it. And sometimes we manufacture it. I, we like to see the mighty miracles, right? And he had just seen a huge mighty miracle. And, and maybe that's what God was trying to say is, Elijah, you just saw a mighty miracle. Is that what you need? You need wind to blow and rocks to break? Do you need a fire from heaven like before? No, Elijah, those are just things that I can do. No me! No me! God says. God was there in a whisper. And I find it intriguing that Elijah hides his head. He knows he's in the presence of God. Not from an earthquake, not from a fire from heaven, but from a a gentle whisper. Now that I got your attention, Elijah, can we ask you the same question we started with? What are you doing here? I love how Elijah, you'd think he would be like, oh God, sorry, I know. He goes right back to his old thing. He replied, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty, the Israelites, for judging your government, turn on your altars, put the prophets of death, and Lord, I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me too. God's like, we're never going to get anywhere with this guy. Elijah, we've been here before. So I love how God just says, okay, let's take your statement that you're the only one. Let's take that. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimishi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from abel Mahuel, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death all who escaped the sword of Heziel, and Elisha will put to death all who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I love that. Elijah's like, poor me, it's only me. I'm all alone, and they're going to kill me. And God's like, oh, Elijah, get up. I'm working here. (laughs) I can almost see God saying, I'm working here. I need you to go and anoint this person and that person because this is all happening. Elijah, not only that, I've got 7,000 of you. Have you ever felt alone (laughs) as a follower of God? Don't Don't ever buy into the line that is just poor me. It's not you. God always reserves a remnant. And even though Israel rejected him nationally, God's preserved a remnant of people, even in the Jewish line, who believed in Jesus and he saved them. He always has a remnant. You're not alone today. He always will have a remnant. Amen? That's a huge lesson for us to learn. Number two, rejection led to blindness and burden. In our passage today, it's, it, it talks about What then? The people of Israel sought so earnestly, but they didn't attain it. The election then did. And the others were hardened. And then he talks about the Old Testament, talking about Israel there. A couple of things. The Jews desired to be God's people, but they didn't succeed. 
They wanted to be God's people, but they found out that their rejection of Jesus the Messiah was a rejection. Their eyes are blinded from what we see here. Their eyes are blinded from seeing Jesus as the Messiah. 2 Corinthians 3, 15 through 16 says, Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Again, we talked about hardening. Did God just choose to harden people? No, I, I think they rejected him. And there comes a time when you reject for so long that God hardens your heart. I would warn you today, if you're so close and, and you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, what are you waiting for? Matter of fact, stop waiting because the longer you wait, the harder your heart could get. Don't allow that to happen. Their eyes were blinded from seeing Jesus. It's amazing, but they couldn't see him as the Messiah. Not only were their eyes blinded, their backs are bent from the burden of trying to obey the law to get right with God. Now, there's a great twist here. If you just pay attention to it, he talks about them being blinded, but then he talks about their backs being bent. It's kind of a reference to slavery. A slave who's working so hard all day long and, and their backs are bent. Julie and I were watching, a, I'm really big into the history of country music right now. It's a great thing. PBS is why, you know, I'm on uh, four, episode four. We're at Johnny Cash and Elvis. This is exciting. And we were watching this and, and Johnny Cash grew up as a cotton farmer. You know, and his, his brother died at a young age, and they had the funeral. The next day, they're all in the cotton field. And they showed a picture of cotton, people picking cotton. And oh, my goodness, somebody with a bad back, I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? That's what they did all day long? Bent over like this, walking forward. This is all they did all day. Oh, my goodness. And Paul uses that analogy by saying their eyes are blinded, but their backs are bent. Why? Because they're a slave to the law. They're a slave to doing good things, and it didn't get them anywhere. Good works doesn't save anyone. John 5, 39. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Jesus was talking to the Jewish people, telling them, you study the Word, but you missed me. They're telling, the Word tells you I am the Messiah. Oh, God offered, but many rejected him. Their eyes were blinded, their backs were bent. And that leads us to number three, God's purpose in Israel stumbling. Again, this is not plan A that failed, and so God added a plan B. This has been God's plan all along. But Israel stumbled. I ask again, did they stumble so far beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Israel's rejection brought redemption to the world. That's why it's don't get arrogant or cocky if you're a Gentile. We don't want to say, woohoo, I'm so glad that they blew it because I can be saved now. Don't, don't, don't have that conclusion. Our hearts should break. But the truth is, God allowed the Gentile world to hear the gospel and be saved. We're going to talk more about that in two weeks. Gentiles receiving reconciliation from God can potentially provoke a jealous reaction from Israel. That's what Paul is saying. Paul's like, I am a prophet to the Gentile nation giving you the gospel, and I hope that that makes the Jewish people jealous. I hope that they see Gentile people loving God and in a fellowship relationship with Him and that makes them so jealous that they want it too. We should pray for Jewish people to receive Jesus and experience the fullness of God. I've got to just bring this out real quick. I know it's nerdy. 
But in verse 12, if their transgressions, Israel, means riches for the world, Gentiles, and their loss, the Israel's loss, means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Some people have misread this passage. So you've got the replacement theology people that think Israel's totally out. Other people read this and think, well, now they're all in because there's full inclusion. And that's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, for those of Israel who receive the Messiah, they're fully included. They're included fully too. Just like the Gentiles are fully included. We're all gonna, we're gonna talk about the tree, the root and the, and the branches that come off of it. And Paul's starting to get to that analogy and saying, he's not saying all Israel is gonna go to heaven. Again, grace, not race. He's saying how beautiful it is when the original people of God get it right. It's a beautiful thing. It's Paul's heart. Remember, pastoral, not intellectual. Paul is saying, I wish that Israel would turn because God would take them. I wish that they would turn. So what's our conclusion? We may stumble and fall. We may have rejected God. Our hearts may have become hardened, but God holds his hands outstretched. Desiring for people to return to him. You can turn to him by receiving Jesus as your savior. If you have not done this, today is your day. Make it today. Do you know about Jesus the Messiah? The one that Paul proclaimed to the Gentile world? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe in him? Have you put... Romans 10, 9 and 10 into practice. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. And you will be saved. Has it happened for you? In two weeks, we're going to talk about some bread. And we're going to talk about some branches. Have you been grafted in? Are you secure to the root? Jesus Christ? If not... You need to take care of that today. Don't wait. Like I said earlier, in Romans 1, God talks about sinfulness. And he said, there came a time when God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. He gave them over to their wild desires. I, I pray that doesn't happen for you. I pray that God would be gracious and patient and that his hand would stay extended and that you would receive him. If you haven't done that need to, please come talk to me after the service today. And we can pray together and make sure that you've received him as your savior. Let's pray. I'd ask the band to come and join me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this tough passage, but I thank you for Paul's heart. Paul the pastor, I thank you that he, uh, he wanted to teach Jewish believers to come by faith, not by works, but he wanted to teach the Gentile people how blessed they were to be included. In all of this, it's so clear to see that God is so good. God, you are so good. And Father, I pray that we would know that and we would be humbled today to even have a part of your plan. I pray this in Jesus' name.